Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay warm at the Horseshoe this season. Score an exclusive, officially licensed Ohio State scarf when you subscribe to the Columbus Dispatch. Get the planet's best Buckeye coverage, award-winning reporting, and one amazingly cozy scarf by subscribing at dispatch.com slash scarf. This promotion is licensed by the Ohio State University. Trademarks used with permission. Columbus is growing. Here at the Dispatch, we wanted to take a step back and look at what all this growth means. This program will explore the future of Columbus and Central Ohio. This is What's Next. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the CBUS Next podcast, where we are exploring the future of Columbus. I am Dispatch Digital News Editor, Michelle Everhart, and we are here today with Jim Weicker, a dispatch reporter, and Bob Schottenstein of the MI Homes, and he's going to talk about what you can expect in homes in the next 20 years. So my name is Robert H. Schottenstein. I'm the chairman and CEO of MI Homes one of the nation's leading home builders, and I have the pleasure of sitting here with my good friend Jim Weicker from the Columbus Dispatch, my favorite newspaper. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for joining us today. I write about housing for the Dispatch, of course, uh, and this is uh, for our CBUS Next uh, project that we're looking forward to uh, 20 years from now. What is Columbus going to look like? Let's start with your thoughts on the future of housing. You guys have as deep a roots as any uh, home builder in this community. You've seen a lot of changes over the last, well, what, four or five decades. What do you see over the next two decades, uh, Bob, when it comes to housing? Where is the need going to be and how is the industry going to respond? It's a great question and obviously uh, no one really knows for sure but, uh, but I do believe the future of housing is very good. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, I believe that uh, ingrained in the American dream and the American spirit and certainly within our society, uh, home ownership is the preferred and has been for many, many, many decades the preferred form of housing. Um, so as I think out over the next 20 years, while, where, while there will be changes, to be sure, in housing styles and housing designs and housing preferences, and if you want, we can try to, we can try to peer into some of that, I do believe that um, there will continue to be uh, very appropriate demand for home ownership, new homes, uh, the new homes may be slightly different, as I said, in design and function than the ones we see today. But I think the future is very, very bright. And uh, I'm really bullish on housing, not just because we're in the business, but I'm really bullish on it when I look at population patterns, demographics, household formations, um, just the fact that uh, so many markets throughout the United States are growing and where there's growth uh, there's going to be a need for housing. I want to talk to you about some of those things in more detail, but 
I'm curious about the demand side right now. There appears to be in Central Ohio right now a lot of demand. If you look at uh, sales, certainly price increases, days on market, the demand is high. Home building hasn't fully recovered yet, at least here locally, um, compared to where it was before the recession. What do you think has to happen for builders to capture more of that demand? Is it a product mix? Is it a price uh, question? Is it a location issue? You ask really good questions. And, and the answer, I think, is, is somewhat complex. Um, uh, let me be really clear. Housing conditions are good today, but they're nowhere near where most people, most experts, demographers, uh, folks that really study this believe they should be. So what do I mean by that? Uh, nationally, um, we're producing roughly 600,000 new homes a year. Given household formations and population patterns, most people believe that we should be producing somewhere between eight and 900,000 new homes a year, which means that we're only producing about two-thirds of that which is needed. Um, back in 1995, 1996, 1997, frankly throughout most of the 1990s here in central Ohio, we were generating somewhere between eight and 10,000 new homes every single year. This year, 2017, Columbus is quite a bit larger than it was during the 90s. Probably another several hundred thousand people live here today than lived here then. And yet, unlike the 90s when we were producing eight to 10,000 new home sales a year in Columbus, the Columbus market today is somewhere around 3,000 to 3,500 new home sales. So what are some of the reasons for that? And I think that, you know, in part, we're still dealing with a little bit of the aftershock, if you will, of the recession, which was very painful. Uh, the, and, and while we have come out of the recession, there are still those that remember, um, uh, you know, some of the pain from uh, foreclosures and houses being underwater and so forth. And so you have, you have that going on. You also have the millennials very, very large group of potential buyers, potential consumers, frankly, the largest tranche population-wise in the entire country, I think, is 26, 27, and 28-year-olds. That three-year group, that three-year age group consists of more individuals than any other three years uh, uh, within, within the American population. They're getting married later. They're forming their own families later. Uh, some of them have been underemployed. Some of them have had hard time finding the kind of employment they really want, which is which is a difficult situation for them. Again, some of that coming out of the recession. A lot of them are still saddled with student debt, um, wanting to get that behind them before they plunge into uh, home ownership and taking on additional debt with a mortgage. A lot of the millennials, I think, prefer mobility and more of an urban. Uh, uh, downtown, if you will, lifestyle, and at least to date, most of that has been apartment and rental, which 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 uh, supports their desire for mobility. Um, so you have a lot of things happening where um, a certain portion of the market, say the under 35 cohort, which historically was had a home ownership rate somewhere in the low 40s, is now noticeably below that for the reasons I just mentioned. And then you have other situations, affordability, 
regulation. Um, a lot of people don't like to hear builders like me talk about regulation because they think that we just want a free ride, which nothing could be further from the truth. But very candidly, um, so many of the zoning and regulatory restrictions that we deal with contribute significantly to increased cost, which also then goes to affordability. And... Um, uh, you know, uh, the average price of a new home in most markets today is probably a little higher than it should be. And the reason for that is not because of builder greed. Um, and I smile as I say that because, you know, I, I know for certain that isn't the reason. A lot of the reason is just is, is the indirect impact, and it's very, very significant, of, of regulation. Um, I think that uh, that that we need very thoughtful discussion within our within our our cities, and we're, we're talking about Columbus, certainly within Central Ohio, when it's various suburbs, as to what is the appropriate level of density. Um, obviously, less dense means bigger lots. Bigger lots means less houses per tract. That simply means that, that each additional tract has to go out further and further and further. And when there's lower density, there's more roads. When there's more roads, there's more roads that have to be repaired over time. All these things create, uh, have an impact on cost. I'm giving you a really long answer to the question, but um, it's a complicated question. And you also have the lending environment where um, I think that... Um, there was way uh, the, the, the the let me let me let me rephrase that during uh, the early part of 2000 leading the 2000s leading up to the recession which really began in in 2008 uh, lending requirements got out of hand and uh, and and the, the the subprime mortgages the ability to buy a home with zero down was was not good for the US economy it was not good for our industry um, I actually said that while it was going on, so I, I'm not one that woke up after the fact and realized that um, it, that was never good, and it created an unrealistic demand and and for housing, which created the bubble, which led to ultimately uh, the collapse. But now, in the aftermath of that, lending restrictions have tightened, and I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too much in the other direction, and it's made it difficult for some people that, by all rights, should be able to buy a home and should be able to secure a mortgage that have very good credit that are willing to put three three and a half five percent ten percent down um, uh, a very solid situation have trouble getting financing and can't buy so you look at all these things and and uh, there's a little bit in one bucket a little bit in another bucket a little bit in another bucket pretty soon you got a full bucket and you have a housing market like columbus that's only operating at about thirty forty percent you talked about millennials. I want to return to that in a moment. But let me follow up on the question of density and regulations. You've mentioned in the past some projects you've been to across the country. I think there was one in Southern California that um, uh, were innovative um, and, and may have an audience here, but probably wouldn't be um, allowed in some municipalities because of the density. Are there are there formats, are there um, types of developments you've seen that you think might have uh, a market here that you know would not be buildable? 
Look, I don't think um, I appreciate that question. I, I don't think we have to 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 look very far to find very appropriate examples of higher density projects that would work wonderfully in Columbus. This is a question of degree. I'm not talking about taking uh, a piece that right now, let's just say in, in any one of many suburbs throughout greater central Ohio, the, the, the appropriate zoning authority may not want anything more dense than two or three units to the acre. Okay, I understand that. I can take you to Dallas. I can take you to Charlotte. I can take you to Tampa. I can take you to Orlando. We don't have to go to California. I can take you to many, many, many places where in some of the finest suburbs within those cities, four unit, four and a half unit per acre, so not two and a half to three, but four to four and a half. That, some people listening to this might think, well, hell, that's no big deal. That's only another one and a half lots per acre. That can impact end housing prices by as much as fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars because of the high cost of ground. When someone says, "Why does that new home cost three hundred and fifty thousand dollars?" my answer is because the land, which is the single largest component—not bricks, not lumber, not electrical work, not roofing, not concrete—the single largest component that influences the end price of a single-family home is the cost of the developed lot. And if you can develop at four or four and a half units per acre instead of two and a half or three, that finished lot may end up costing fifty or sixty thousand dollars instead of seventy or eighty thousand dollars. And when you begin to think about things like that, then you see why. Oh, that's why that new home, which is twenty-eight hundred square feet, sells for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It has a big side yard that no one ever uses instead of that same 2,800 square foot house that has a narrower side yard. Frankly, it would look a lot like homes in, in, in many of the established neighborhoods, Grandview, Arlington, Worthington, Bexley, that, that were built 20, 30 years ago. But that same 2,800 square foot home would only cost $275,000. That's a big difference. It's, it, it's an enormous difference, and I get very passionate about this because I'm not talking about the diminution of the quality of the house. I'm not talking about dumbing down architecture. I'm not talking about trying to just put up something that, that doesn't endure and have lasting value and lasting quality. I'm talking about really attacking affordability. Um, let me ask you about millennials. Um, Every study I've seen, I'm sure you too, show that millennials expect to buy, want to buy one day. They're delayed because of life um, decisions, maybe some of the financial issues you mentioned. The question is, will they want the same house, do you think, that their parents wanted? You or know, will they want something different in a different I, location? I don't know that we – I think it will mostly be the same, but I don't think we quite know that yet. I mean – you know, whether you look at clothing or cars or just the way in which we socialize, the way in which we communicate, things constantly change. And I think some of that will too. Look, people have always wanted a great kitchen. But this is sort of like me saying the word density. What is a great kitchen? What is a great kitchen today is different than what a great kitchen was 
25 years ago. 25 years ago, a great kitchen was a self-contained siloed room. Today, a great kitchen has all the spaces and maybe a nice island and granite countertops and 42-inch cabinets and stainless steel appliances, but it opens up into, it's not siloed, it opens up into a great room, a place where people can live with lots of natural light and a walk-in pantry as opposed to, you know, cabinets where things are hidden that you can't see. So people have always wanted a great kitchen, and I think people always will. Millennials will want a great kitchen, but exactly what their great kitchen will look like, you know, a lot of that is wait and see, react fast, and don't try to maybe figure it out they're going to be the ones that ultimately figure it out. I'm not smart enough, frankly, no one is smart enough to necessarily figure it out. Um, they'll sort of help us figure it out. That will be an iterative, collaborative process that will unfold over time. Are there any uh, products or designs that you see now, though, that you expect will become far more common in 20 years? When I look back 20 years ago, things like mud rooms, you know, the op open floor plans, uh, you know, poured um, basement walls. Uh, these were starting to come in vogue. Now, of course, they're routine. Are there things that you see right now that are on the horizon that you expect to become far more routine in products, design? Yeah, I, I think there are. First of all, in terms of a big picture comment on that, Jim, functionality. Um, function is, is a lot more important today than form. Um, again, we go back 25 years, typical house, self-contained living room, self-contained dining room, self-contained kitchen, maybe a so-called great room or family room, but it was usually small, not very prominent. Mudroom didn't even exist. Laundry rooms stuck in some basement somewhere. Garages, too narrow, too tight. Now we look today, living rooms, no one uses them. We don't. We, they're not even included in almost in most of the homes that we build. So-called family rooms, enormous space opened up to the kitchen, sort of one big giant living area. Mud rooms, very very important, where people can put their things when they enter in the house. So we deal with all this form and function, function over form. Then you get into some of the specifics. Homes are increasingly more efficient and better built technologically and also from an energy efficiency standpoint. There is no comparison in terms of energy efficiency between the homes that MI Homes built today, and I can say this about a lot of large builders, but certainly us, the homes we build today versus the home we built 15 years ago. We built a great home 15 years ago, but the home we build today is 20%, 25%, in some cases 30% more energy efficient than it was before. I think we'll continue to see improvements there uh, as, as technology develops. The other thing is the so-called... It's a little bit of a trite expression, but the so-called smart home, keyless entry, uh, uh, it being able to operate a lot of things from your from from your uh, telephone, your iPhone, whether it be lighting, uh, security systems, cameras, um, the 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 you know the fact that Wi-Fi will be just so prevalent everywhere, and. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing more. Samsung came out with this new with this new refrigerator, where you literally keep track of your shopping needs with a built-in uh, computer panel on on the door of the refrigerator. 
Uh, they've begun to advertise it a lot. People have probably seen it on television. Um, and I think we'll see more and more and more of that. And also, this other issue, which is a giant X factor that nobody can get their arms around, is the notion of autonomous um, uh, autonomous vehicles or driverless cars. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there that are saying that children born today may or may not need a may not need a driver's license. I don't know whether that's true, but at some point that's likely to be somewhat true. And if that's the case, think of the enormous, enormous impact that's going to have one day on home design as it relates to garages. It's unthinkable to build a new home today without a two-car garage. Um, if we tried to sell a house with no garage, you know, we'd spend a long time trying to sell it. Um, most of there's there's actually a lot more demand for two plus car garages than 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 anything smaller. But yet, as that unfolds with with autonomous vehicles and just being more creative about the way in which our society transports itself, and that's unfolding as we speak. Certainly, Columbus, as the designated smart city, I think has a chance to be a pioneer in this. Um, uh, that's going to play out in a very significant way. Exactly how, I don't know. But I, one thing I know for sure, it will play out. Let me ask you about some of the um, developments that MI has done here in town. A lot of people probably think of you as a builder of suburban family homes. But you've um, taken on a few um, different projects here in town. I'm thinking Minerva Park and Battelle. Can you talk about some of the um, different locations you're looking at and maybe some different products that uh, you're introducing to uh, you know, address the needs of today's buyers? I, I always appreciate when you give me the chance to talk about our company as opposed to just housing in general. So if you'll indulge me, I'll, I, I will do that um, since you asked. Um, uh, we, um, uh, we're very excited about our business. We're very excited about our business here in Columbus, and it's not just Columbus where we're doing some of these things, but um, we will be introducing uh, in a number of our markets, including Columbus, a new line of homes that we call our City Collection, and it will be branded as such, the MI Homes City Collection. And um, um, uh, we th there, there's a number of locations in Columbus that we've got our eye on right now. You mentioned the Battelle site. Um, it's it's our high expectation that that's where we where, where we will launch our city collection. So what 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 the hell is the city collection, and what it consists of, at least as it relates to the Battelle site, is a series of narrow, uh, very much in keeping with what you see in the university district, both architecturally and widthwise, uh, detached, alley loaded, uh, single family homes, big sweeping front porches. Uh, probably largely Victorian architecture because it's in the university district, but all new on the inside. And, um, you know, uh, not trying to reinvent and create new super trendy exterior architecture, but rather trying to create something that will knit beautifully into that incredible university district neighborhood, uh, walking distance from the Ohio State University campus. Um, uh, but 10-foot ceilings on the first floor, 9-foot ceilings on the second floor, m tremendous open plan on the first floor, very functional living that I talked about. Really, really excited about that. Um, you know, we're still going to be leading with our suburban business, but the city collection will, it, over time, I think, become... Uh, 
uh, more and more a part of what we're selling, not just here in Columbus, but we're looking at a site in Indianapolis, a site in Charlotte, a site in Raleigh, and... Um, you know, in time, it may end up being, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent of our overall business. As we see so many, we talk about housing trends, um, you know, t- 20 years ago, you couldn't have paid someone to live in the urban core. You know, today, you can't pay someone not to live in the urban core. So we're seeing a lot of changes, and it's not just millennials, empty nesters. A lot of folks are wanting to live in what they deem to be these wonderfully attractive, walkable neighborhoods. And the last thing I want to say is, um, while a lot will, at least on this point, while a lot will likely change over the next 20 years, there's, there's an old rule in real estate called location, location, location. And I'll bet a lot that in 20 years, in 40 years, in 60 years, location, location, location will still be the key factor for our industry. But here's what's slightly different. Again, it's like the word great kitchen or density. What is a great location? Whereas a great location 20 years ago was was in a suburban school district here in Columbus, I think that'll still be a very strong location. A walkable urban neighborhood increasingly is now falling under the umbrella of location, location, location. And we need to be focused on that. You mentioned uh, empty nesters as being a potential audience for your city collection. Over the next 20 years, more than 400,000 baby boomers will uh, uh, probably sell their homes uh, here in central Ohio. Where that's a huge audience, of course, for uh, for builders. Where will they uh, move to, do you think? And how is the industry poised to cater to their needs? I think the industry is, is, is all over right now. I, I, I mentioned earlier on in my remarks that if you look at the U.S. population and take any three consecutive years, the largest tranche of uh, uh, the largest population tranche is I think 26, 27, and 28-year-olds. I may be off by one year, but but it's in there somewhere. The second largest is I think 63, 64, and 65-year-olds, just a little bit smaller. So you've got these two tidal waves of consumers that represent, and and frankly, uh, since I'm a lot, since I'm not in the first group, I'm in the second group. Um, I think they have a lot of uh, life left in them, I hope, to, to continue to be consumers. I think that the empty nester uh, demand is being met. We're doing significantly more empty nester product than we ever did. Um, you've got a number of large uh, uh, builders and developers in this country that literally create um, empty nester neighborhoods exclusively. That's not something that, that we look to do on a large-scale basis, but we certainly look at pocketing small empty nester um, uh, or t- empty or, or age-targeted, I, I should say, uh, housing designs throughout, throughout the markets in which we operate. Um, and I think that, uh, that, 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 that's a formidable, uh, that that's a formidable block of consumers whose needs need to be addressed. Um, many are staying and putting the houses they're in, but many want to downsize for obvious reasons. And um, here in Columbus alone, whether it be Straits Farm in New Albany, 
uh, a project that we've got uh, right near the lakes uh, called uh, the Sanctuary, um, a project we've got in Dublin that, uh, that is just recently opened called Riviera. Um, so Dublin, uh, 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 Southern Delaware County, New Albany, three examples here in just central Ohio. I could give many, many more throughout our company. We, uh, we do business in 15, uh, 15 different markets, but just in central Ohio alone where we've developed um, product targeted to the empty nester. And we've got a number in the, uh, over the next year, we'll be rolling out two, three, four more here in Columbus. On the other side of that equation, those baby boomers, many of them will be selling their home. What does that um, amount of inventory coming on in the market, uh, a lot of it's going to be traditional family home, uh, larger uh, homes, what does that do to the um, the landscape, the competitive landscape, if you're building a traditional suburban home? Are you worried, in other words, that there might be a glut of existing product? No. Um, uh I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I think that we'll be just fine. I think that housing has a lot of uh, upside in terms of, I talked about before, you know, in terms of new housing stock, we're probably operating at about two-thirds of capacity. I think there's a lot of headroom. I don't think there's a risk of overbuilding. I think that as long as there's responsible lending, Again, I use these terms like density, great kitchens, location, location, responsible lending, not silly lending like we had in 2003, 4, 5, and 6 that led up to the recession, but responsible lending that allows people with good credit to, to have access to home ownership. And as our country continues to grow through household formations, job growth, a healthy U.S. economy, the most important thing in our industry is not interest rates. The most important thing in our industry, the housing industry, is a healthy U.S. economy and where there's jobs and where people, when they put their head on their pillow at night, feel secure in that job and feel secure about their income, they represent either current, future, uh, either bu homeowners buying either an existing home or a new home, and I think there's a lot of headroom, Jim. I'm very, very bullish on the housing industry. Well, Bob, thanks. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. It's great to be with you, and, uh, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Thanks, guys, so much for coming in today and talking to us about a very interesting subject. Next week, we're going to have Terry Fogler with the City of Dublin to talk about their Bridge Street project. And don't forget that you can read all of our stories at cbusnext.com. And let us know what you think the city is going to look like in 20 years by using the hashtag cbusnext.com, emailing us at cbusnext at dispatch.com, or just visiting the website. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.